0: Welcome to Oral Hygiene. It's the podcast where we talk about educational films, experimental caught films, and interesting documentaries. This is Matt here. Uh, today, our guest is an author. He's written Modern Esoteric, Future Esoteric. He's got his own publishing house, CCC, and has appeared on lots of uh, shows like Coast to Coast and uh, Ancient Aliens. Is that correct? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. So. It,
0: Hello, Brad Olson.
1: Hey, Matthew. How you doing over there in Japan?
0: Pretty good. It's it's my morning. Uh, we have the technical difficulties. I think my hands are all shaky now, but hey, what can you do? <laughs> but, uh, oh, I yeah. thought that
1: was from the coffee. Okay, you, you'll be fine. We'll get through this. Uh, yeah, and also my new book is called Beyond Esoteric Escaping Prison Planet, and this all has right. just come out. I know you're familiar with my other books in the series. That's right. That's great. I used to be an English teacher in Japan myself, ego no Sensei, and I really like the fact that you're over there now, and uh, we can have this conversation.
0: Did you ever feel like qualified when kids were calling you Sensei?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I felt undeserving until I realized that uh, the people of the East take Sensei very seriously, Mm -hmm. so I kind of cleaned up my act a little bit. I was a bit of a playboy when I was there, and uh, went out drinking with the guys a lot and said, Oh, you have to take it seriously. You are imparting your knowledge and information to us. And we treat senseis with very high respect. I said, really? I'm just out of college having a good time. But that wow. has always stuck with me that uh, to be a sensei is a elevated position in Eastern civilization.
0: Right. My daughter, a few months ago, what? I guess she heard someone else call me uh Matt sensei and, um, She's about 12 and she just started laughing because she thought it sounded so stupid because <laughs> she's not my student. so <laughs> She thought that was pretty wild. Uh, today, of course, is a 1946 Navy film showing us about Operation High Jump. And I, I, Brad, I did ask if, if you could give a, just a short explanation of um, what you saw here. <laughs>
1: Well, what we saw in the Operation High Jump film is the official propaganda, I think it was at the time, about what that scientific mission was all about. Well, if it's a scientific mission, why are you sending down 33 planes, an aircraft carrier, 1,600 highly trained personnel, including uh, ground attack forces? Why do you need a submarine? as part of this expedition? Why do you need other countries to join in if it's just uh, to go down there to collect scientific investigation or to study the penguin colony? Why do you have to have a military admiral like Richard Byrd lead the charge? So I think that film is what was released to the public as far as what was going on with Operation High Jump, but is a far cry from the reality of what really went on with Operation High Jump.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll of course be getting to that very shortly, but the thing that really blew my mind here is they're showing us, like even for science, they're showing us nothing, basically. They're like 4,000 men. Well, here's about 200 uh, playing with some penguins.
1: (laughs) And no scientific study whatsoever. Uh, What is known is that they were massing the fleet of ships near the German claim of New Schwabenland, and that is uh, approximately directly below South Africa in the Southern Ocean. And that's very interesting because that is where the reported fleet was going uh, to do their experiments, but it's also that area of Antarctica where the Germans had developed a base, the base 211, or the New Berlin base, as it was called, by Admiral Donitz, who said, we have created an impregnable fortress for the Fuhrer in a faraway land of Shangri-La. And in my new book, Beyond Esoteric, I'll show real quick your audience a map that I reproduce, two maps from that expedition, which shows, well, here's the Nazi bell as well, But this bottom one is the new Schwabenland claim, Uh, all written in German, all the mountains around there named after the German explorers. And I know where that base is located. They landed a seaplane in the Schumacher Ponds area, which is depicted on this map in German. And they did an expedition into the Mullig Hoffman mountain range. And you have to understand the Germans were the ones who came over here with the ability to bore underground, to create all of the underground bases that we have in this country, the dumps the deep underground military bases. Those are the paperclip Nazis that came over here to show us how to do it. During World War II, they had created Fortress Europe, including many bunkers all up and down the... Uh, Atlantic sea line to prevent an invasion once the uh, Nazis had taken over in France and the low countries and even up in Scandinavia. They had this technology and they took it down to Antarctica as well. So a lot of the technology that was whisked out of the Third Reich at the end of the war, presumably ended down here in Antarctica or some of their massive land holdings in chile and argentina but i do believe that what bird was going down there to do was to confront the nazis in this new stronghold after the war so they couldn't call it a military exercise because what kind of military exercise are you doing against the penguins they couldn't announce it and still to this day high jump is classified
0: yeah we were just having a, a conversation another episode where um I mean, you know, America doesn't do wars anymore. We do police actions. We do, you know, <laughs> exercises. It's always like a euphemism for, they—they uh, they can't. especially since World War II, it's like they can't tell you what they're actually doing. There always has to be a weird euphemism for it or something. But um, when did the Germans make their way to Antarctica? Because uh, I feel like countries in general were starting to really do their explorations in the late 30s. I mean, other than you know, just trying to drag a dog sled across the continent or something.
1: The New Schwabenland expedition was 1938 39. Just remember the winter down there is opposite ours. So the season to do any kind of expedition is from November until March. And so the New Schwabenland, named after the boat Schwabia, which took the uh, expedition down there, was going to this location. And it's what is called Queen Maud Land on most maps today, but I was just looking at a uh, National Geographic atlas from 2015 when it was produced, and it showed New Schwabenland on the map. I I was quite amazed that some maps, even modern maps today, still show it. Here, I even took a picture. I'll uh, display it. Maybe you can see New Schwabenland on the bottom there of uh, Antarctica that they claimed. And the way they claimed it was they did a whole bunch of flyovers, they were surveying the area and they were dropping these 1.5 meter darts. So about five foot tall and just with the Nazi insignia on it. And by doing so they felt like, well, this is our claim to the land. But uh, those claims were never recognized. However, I'll tell you this, Matthew, this is really interesting. When I was going over maps before my trip down there two and a half years ago, I was looking at some Cold War era maps from uh, the late 1980s. And West Germany had bases in New Schwabenland. So really, the Germans never left that area, at least not for any prolonged period of time, and then just renamed them West German bases. And now they're unified germany bases in the same area that's where they have remained this whole time
0: yeah when the you know the collapse of germany at that time uh, those little outlying bases and things they're obviously going to uh, secure up and bundle up for uh, whatever is coming next
1: yeah you bet
0: which i guess yeah. in this case was pie jump was coming next for the folks in new Schwabenland. <laughs>
1: Well, it was indeed, and, and High Jump turned into a hot battle. It's known as the Battle of High Jump. I've researched and read many books, uh, anything I can get my hands on, concerning what happened at that period in late 1946. Mind you, Operation High Jump was supposed to be a six-month operation, yet something happened where the whole armada of ships turned around and retreated two months into the six month trip. So the Battle of High Jump took place in late December, 1946. And by most accounts, what happened was they were doing a flyover in this mountain range called the Mullig Hoffman Mountains and found some above ground buildings. They did a couple light and they were going back on the second day And they were going to start to carpet bomb this area when all the planes that had taken off from the USS Philippine Sea just went blip right off the radar, no contact, never saw those pilots ever again. They found some of the debris from the planes, but no men were recovered at a great loss of life. That very same day up out of the water rose what we would describe as flying saucer-type UFO crafts that came up out of the ocean. None of the conventional warfare bombs from World War II could take down these craft. They flew right over the armada of ships and sliced one of them in half in a show of force with what can be described as a directed energy weapon. Now, this was developed by Tesla called a death ray, around uh, the 1920s, 1930s. So this technology did exist, yet it's still being withheld from the public today. Also, what's being withheld from the public today is what happened after the Battle of High Jump when Admiral Byrd was retreating. He was a little more talkative than the military wanted him to be. And he said to a journalist when they were, in, port in Chile, that we have a new enemy and we will be confronted with a new enemy that has the ability to fly from pole to pole at incredible speeds. And again, we're not recognizing that there is a plane today that could fly from the pole to pole at incredible speeds. Right when Admiral Byrd got back, he was instantly silenced and really didn't talk about that enemy that we should be watching out for ever again. Much like James Forrestal, who was suicided out of Bethesda Hospital, uh, Admiral Byrd was said to be going insane and we're gonna have to put him in a medical institution. And uh, they pretty much quieted him down that way, but such a, a decorated explorer, pilot, Admiral, discover of new lands that should have such a ignoble way to end his career should be very telling to your audience that something happened down off of New Schwabenland.
0: I want to take uh, one one step back talking about the uh, the flying machine, the UFO. And I, I think it, you even mentioned some of this in your book about the technology actually being quite old and being similar to the, uh, if I can say it right, Vimana. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't, since I reloaded my computer, I don't have all my cheat notes in front of me. But um, is that the same sort of technology, a, a rediscovered technology, or did they just rediscover it independently, or would they be like completely different things?
1: Uh, it's still not completely clear if those craft that came up out of the ocean were fully German craft that had been with. A malevolent ET race, such as the Reptilians, which are reported to be down there in their own dark fleet of ships. But what is known is that the Germans were very good at backward engineering. They had their own downed craft in the Black Forest region in 1933 that their German engineers were studying for years, as well as a craft that came down in the Lombardy region of Italy that Mussolini turned over to the German scientists that was nearly fully intact. So they had working craft that they were working with, as well as what the real society, these uh, mediums, including uh, Maria Orsic and others, were doing to channel information, including blueprint energy craft of... Uh, zero-point energy, and were then absorbed into the Thule Society, another occult uh, group that Adolf Hitler and Himmler and Hess were all a part of in the early years. And then they they went to the dark side with it. I do believe that the Aldebaran high-tech civilization were looking at Germany as a very progressive country in the 1920s. Uh, late teens and early 1920s, right, after World War that's when these, um, these divine seers were getting the downloads from the Aldebaran space people, and they were in a good position to use it for benevolent reasons. When they went to the dark side, that's when everything changed, and what could have been a very promising Western civilization Uh, turned it into a war effort. And as we know, the rest is history from there.
0: Oh, yeah. The the idea that uh, absolute power is going to corrupt people eventually You start off with good intentions, you end up a Nazi. I mean, that's unfortunately (laughs) that that's how you become a Nazi. You don't wake up one morning and say, I'm going to be terrible. It's a, you know, a slow crawl in that direction, I would imagine, which picks up speed eventually but (laughs) let's uh let's get back to that narrative where we had the uh the ship cut in half by by a tesla death ray because that's that's a nice uh cliffhanger to move on did they just tuck tail and run at that point or what
1: well all the cannon and shots were being fired from the ships to try to take one of these disc-shaped craft down there was some kind of force field around the craft that couldn't even get close to even damaging any of these craft that were seen and and they were hovering and behaving in a way that nobody has seen an airplane or any kind of aircraft behave. And to just show them that you're not going to want to mess with this area of Antarctica ever again, they used that directed energy weapon, the Tesla death ray, and sliced a destroyer called the USS Murdoch in half. And I'll tell you, Matthew, a really incredible source of this information comes from the Russians themselves. At the end of the Soviet era in the early 1990s, there's a huge amount of information that came out of the former Soviet Union. You could show up in Moscow with a suitcase full of hard currency and find people that could go into the KGB office and pull out whatever you wanted. So. In that time, it was a great blossoming for UFO research, new alien autopsy videos, new retrieved crashes of the Russians were coming out, shot from multiple angles, which would be very, very difficult to try to fake that, as well as all the information that the Russians had about what happened at the Battle of High Jump. There's a great movie that uh, came out as a documentary In Russia a few years ago. It's on YouTube now. You have to read all the subtitles. It's still uh, in Russian, but it can be found on YouTube. And it goes through the whole sequence of the Battle of Jump, including the destruction of the USS Murdoch. Now, this takes us into very murky ground because the Murdoch is also the name of the ship in the Gulf of Tonkin incident. And I like how you mentioned that they don't go down and do war. They do incidents, right? And that's what started the Vietnam incident. It never was a war. It was more like a uh, military activity. Well, that happened to be the USS Murdoch as well. And there was another USS Murdoch in World War II. But coming to look into this a little closer, the USS Murdoch having all these various names and all these top secret or starting a conflict type of affair well that was a common occurrence not only to the nazis would do it with their own u-boats they would say that a u-boat was destroyed when really it wasn't just to keep it uh, in operation in top secret mode and i do believe our military did that as well with this uss murdoch so that when it was sunk they just renamed it and tried to scrub it out of the military record of what really happened to it in the Southern Oceans during the Battle of High Jump, reassigned its name uh, into another ship that was then infamous as being fired upon by the uh, North Vietnamese to start out the Vietnam conflict.
0: I've actually heard uh, someone talking about that being the case with the Titanic too like is the sister ship was damaged a year before. So there's a theory that they just flipped the names and sent the damaged ship out to uh, basically sink
1: more than a theory. When they sent down the probe to find the Titanic, you can see the name Olympic was the real name of the Titanic. And that ship uh, had been damaged in port, the real Titanic. And they just swapped out the names knowing that they were sending the Titanic to its depth. And that was very much a false flag. The sinking of the Titanic had all the top industrialists in America who were going to discuss the merits of whether or not we should usher in the Federal Reserve. Right at the very last minute, JP Morgan himself said, oh, I'm sick, I can't get on that boat. And he sunk Astor, a billionaire at the time, and several other very wealthy Americans to their depth. Because remember, there wasn't enough lifeboats. Funny that. They're sailing, steaming straight on into iceberg country, and they didn't have enough lifeboats for everybody. So it was women and children first. And so all these industrialists who would have opposed the Federal Reserve System went down with the ship that day. And that was, yep, a renamed ship. You got that right, Matthew.
0: I mean, even today, uh, if you really want to get rid of your problem, you dump it in the deep ocean. (laughs) No, uh, Or you
1: sink it, where you think nobody's ever going to see it again. And one other little tidbit about that uh, probe that went down to find the Titanic, you can see that the metal flares out where the ship was uh, damaged instead of flaring in as if it hit an iceberg, which would have punctured it from the outside in this was an explosion flaring out it actually was sunk by a false flag bomb going off all the while knowing that they would say that they hit an iceberg which was not the case
0: um speaking of explosions i, I think there talk of uh, going back to high jump again uh, there was uh, a nuclear explosion at some point
1: so that occurred a couple years later and that is called argus which is another classified nuclear bomb testing that took place in the Southern Ocean, just offshore of New Schwabenland of the U.S. And this is still a classified high altitude nuclear bomb testing. You think, well, why why could it be classified to this day? All the other nuclear bomb testings are now unclassified. This one still remains. And Argus was lobbing a few nukes over at the new berlin base if i were ever to go back to antarctica matthew i'd like to go down with the film crew and go to try to find the underground bases and take a couple geiger counters if we were to find any traces of radioactivity that would then prove that uh, those nuclear bombs were being lobbed over towards the new Schwabenland. And believe me, the US did not forget the humiliating defeat of the Battle of High Jump. And they always wanted to get revenge. And it would only take uh, a decade later until they were able to do that uh, in, in this highly classified event. And I, I should point out to you that after the Operation High Jump in 1958, just months later, was the beginning of the antarctica treaty and one of the clauses one of the main parts of this treaty is that no nuclear testing will ever take place in antarctica and none has ever since but why would they put so much emphasis on that nuclear ban if it's never happened before well maybe it did just happen right before and that they wanted to say well never again So if we were ever to find that there was some kind of radioactivity, it would prove that Operation Argus was all about bombing the Nazis out of the New Berlin base. But by then, I do believe they knew it was coming, and they had moved most of their holdings to South America. And when I was in South America, as a precursor to my trip down to Antarctica two and a half years ago, I discovered that there are huge tracts of land that were bought up by Germanic people in the uh, lead up to World War II. And then immediately after, they were flush with gold and cash and bonds and bought up these tracts of land in Chile and Argentina, some the size of our small states here in America, about the size of Connecticut. And they are, are, are very well protected. You can't just go in there. Even the Argentinian and Chilean uh, military has a hard time even accessing these areas, even though it's in their country. Almost like we have Area 51 within the Nellis Air Force range. There are these protected pockets in South America where I do believe that the Nazis moved this technology out of Antarctica, they didn't really like being there. The technicians and the people who were living there, they missed the company of others. They wanted to be in more temperate climates. So they were about ready to go anyways. And I'm not sure that Argus did all that much damage to them uh, or that base that they had pretty much up and abandoned by 58. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I always thought it was a little weird they called it a uh, Antarctic Treaty, but if you've just had a ten years of a little literal uh, cold war, that makes a lot more sense.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: So, um, I guess what can we can we bump that ball a few more decades down the way? What what continues happening with this uh, new Schwabenland Land base if they've moved it? So there's something still there. Right, the, something is 16. still there.
1: And, and this is really interesting. I was on Coast to Coast AM last night on 1,500 radio stations really around the world, but mostly across the U.S. And we were talking about the Ark of Gabriel. Have you ever heard of that one? I have not. That was uh, an artifact, much like the Ark of the Covenant, that has these purportedly supernatural powers. So remember at about 2015, there was a crane that collapsed in Mecca with uh, a dozen or so people, loss of life. And then shortly after was the stampede where hundreds of people died, right? And that seems kind of unlikely. How could hundreds of people die from a stampede of people? Uh, But that was the cover story of what really happened, which was the uncovering of this Ark of Gabriel. And upon discovery, it had... This tremendous release of energy or something that had killed uh, all these people as well as toppled over the crane. And so the Saudis knew they had to get rid of this thing. It was right there in Mecca where millions of pilgrims come annually to the Kaaba. And so they sought out the assistance of the Russians. And this is very much in the historic record that a Russian fleet of ships came to the Red Sea port and presumably took this Ark of Gabriel out of Saudi Arabia and that uh, armada of Russian ships made a beeline straight down to guess where? New Schwabenland. And guess where they put it? In an old German base. And then you have all these uh, not only leaders of state going down there, but you have Buzz Aldrin and John Kerry on election day, but more specifically to the story of the of Gabriel, you have Patriarch Krill, this elderly old man who had just met the Pope for the very first time, the meeting of Eastern and Western patriarchs, and then he goes beeline straight down to this area to bless a chapel, which is about the size of a walk-in closet. And for this old guy to be (laughs) going down there for some reason, uh, around the time it was also reported Putin was going down to Antarctica, as well as Obama, who was definitely in uh, San Carlos de Bariloche, which is one of these Fourth Reich Germanic hangout places in South America that uh, he, too, also went to Antarctica to check in on what might have happened to the Ark of Gabriel or to work with some of these uh, under ice bases, which are reported to exist. And just think about this, Matthew, that the Antarctic polar plateau is over two miles thick of ice. Antarctica is the most volcanically active continent in the world, 91 known volcanoes down there. And several of which can create these large domes under the ice. And with geothermal heating, well, it wouldn't even be that bad. You would be out of exposure of the very cold temperatures above and the fierce storms that hit Antarctica. And you'd have a free energy source of geothermal heating down there. So that is what is uh, said to have happened to John Kerry, that he went down there on election day when he should have been up campaigning for his uh, party's nominee the day Trump won the election. He's in Antarctica and then lands in McMurdo Base, takes off for several days. Nobody knows where he went, came back, and then flew out. So a lot of mysteries going on down there in Antarctica, Matthew. And that's what I've been... uh, studying for the last couple years including my own trip down there on a 72 foot sailboat from Ushuaia to the Palmer Peninsula region where I was asking these questions and trying to get to the bottom of a lot of these mysteries in Antarctica some of which I uh, include in my new book Beyond Esoteric.
0: My other podcast is uh, doing sci-fi films and so I'm, I'm going left field with the question here but um there's the Godzilla movie a couple of years ago uh the king of the monsters and it has like of course they're keeping a monster in in their antarctic base but they sort of have the the dumb base um and that's they're keeping the alien tech there and then i just thought it was an interesting like uh pop culture sort of mirror you know maybe someone just hearing about some of these ideas and just putting in the script or whatever but uh i i was ha- have you seen that one by chance
1: uh, i'm not much of a mainstream I, 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 media <laughs> consumer yeah. but isn't godzilla out of yeah. uh, japan there isn't he one of your guys creations
0: <laughs> yeah yeah the funny thing is they have the the newer one which because of states of emergency and things has not yet been released here but uh ah. i guess i'll throw that as the suggestion though just that they, you do get this pop culture um sort of underground antarctic base in that movie for a little bit i guess you do in some of the alien predator ones but i haven't seen those so it's sometimes interesting to see what they're showing in pop culture and you know maybe maybe it's predictive programming but sometimes hey maybe someone just heard something interesting and put it in a script so um i'm just sitting here thinking my mental picture of, of these bases is similar to what i saw there uh and then thinking of the 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 Ark of Gabriel, well, that's that's sort of the monster in this case. So <laughs> put it back in its place.
1: <laughs> hey, that would be a good little uh, subtle analogy of what really happened with this Ark of Gabriel.
0: Um, we're coming a little low on our time, but uh, I do want you to tell our listeners a little bit about um, your new book a little more and where they can get in, all those sorts of things.
1: Sure. Yeah, Beyond Esoteric, Escaping Prison Planet has just come out last couple months. Uh, It's doing quite well. You can order it off of the as-to-be-named rainforest named online platform. Uh, I'd prefer if people would go to their local bookstore and ask them to order it, or you can go to cccpublishing.com. That's our publishing website, and you can order it off of that Website And that comes through my office, so I'm able to sign copies for people on the way out. However, I have to warn if anybody's ordering from overseas, it could be very expensive just because postage has gone up quite a bit uh, for overseas parcels, something like uh, 25, 28 US dollars just to ship. So it might be better to see if your local bookstore, if you're overseas, can order it for you, and then they can get it uh, at a much less postal rate i would suppose um but yeah it's doing well uh, kicking ass in uh, sales rank and um it's complementing the other books in the esoteric series as well
0: and i um ccc I, I it stands for something fantastic but like i said i don't have my cheat notes anymore what, what does ccc stand for
1: consortium of collective consciousness publishing cccp like the old uh Soviet Union initials.
0: Yeah, that caught my eye. Um, this and a few other podcasts, we, we've put it under the um the umbrella of on Patreon of a podcastius pod no podcast. It's, it's 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 like uh it's the same sort of line of thought. So <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh Brad, very uh many thanks today for coming in. Sorry I'm a little geeky today. Uh, also I've been watching the uh the connection like kind of almost fade out over and over. So I, I think you only have one weirdly time stretched sentence though. So we're looking good that way.
1: All right, cool. Think well, you're like, Connection. Uh, don't fade out. Don't
0: fade out on me. All
1: right.
0: <laughs> okay. Anyway, I know you have, uh, you're a busy man. You have another interview to do. So, uh, thanks for joining this one today.
1: Oh, you're very welcome. Nice to talk to you, Matthew. And, uh, Look forward to seeing the link of the show if, when you put it all together.
0: It'll probably be about uh, two or three weeks, so it won't be too long away. To wait. All right. Okay. Have a good evening, I suppose.
1: Yes, you too. Have a good morning over there in Japan. Thank You're already on you. uh, tomorrow. Wow. I'm speaking to the man in the future.
0: Yeah. I always have to, like, I, I think I messed it up once or twice where I told someone, I think I told my co-host for the air podcast at the time but i told him the to date for the guest which is wrong because that's today for us so ah <laughs> time zones we don't do daylight savings uh, yeah uh, sometimes it's, it's like doing calculus which i can't do so <laughs> okay <laughs> have a good one yeah you too bye-bye did you advance the film script Are you on the final page? Well done.